The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 1. We have looked over the past two weeks, um, first at Matthew's account of the events surrounding the birth of Christ, Um, and he takes time to trace the genealogy of Jesus back to Abraham, Uh, and he focuses a lot on Joseph's experience as the guy that was asked by God to help raise his son. Uh, And we see from these things that Matthew was concerned with convincing his fellow Jews that Jesus was indeed the long-awaited Messiah. That was a lot of the thrust of his gospel. Uh, And then last week, we looked at the story through Luke's perspective. He's an educated Greek doctor who, uh, through eyewitness account, compiled his gospel. He focused a lot more on Mary's side. Being a Greek, he's not part of the, the Hebrew culture that was more patriarchal, that would cause Matthew to kind of focus on Joseph's Uh, ideas about it. He looks a lot through the lens of Mary, uh, and he also shines a light on the humility and humanity uh, of the way that Jesus came. And so uh, that was really fun. This week, uh, we're going to look at uh, the first chapter of John. Now, the author here, uh, sometimes known as John the Evangelist, uh, he was one of the 12 disciples, and he was one of the inner circle of three men that was closest to Jesus. Uh, Some would say, and I tend to agree, that John was probably Jesus' best friend while he walked on the earth. Uh, The book of John focuses more on the deity of Jesus, the godness of Jesus, uh, than the other Gospels. And that's apparent, for sure, we're about to read this, uh, in the complete absence of the birth story. John does not even mention the manger, the angels, the shepherds, none of that. He doesn't, doesn't mess with it. Um, John starts his account not at the incarnation when God became a man, but at creation, when God made man and everything else. Okay, so we're going to read, starting here in John 1.1. We'll read 18 verses together, okay? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Okay, so one of our biggest problems in dealing with this is going to be, this is probably one of the richest texts in all of the scriptures, and so we could take weeks, literally, probably months, uh, mining it for truth and revelation. What we're going to do, though, is just, we're going to observe three things of the many that are here uh, through this text about Jesus, Um, and he is the reason for the season, so that's why we're going to focus on him. Amen? Okay, so here's three things that we're going to find from uh, these verses. First of all, Jesus is God. Yeah, amen. You'd be happy about it. That's a big deal, isn't it? Okay? Uh, let me just read one, one to you again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. See, verse 14 tells us that Jesus is the Word. So hear what I just read about verse 1? He was with God. He was God. And then 
uh, verse 14 tells us that the Word became flesh. So how can Jesus, the Word, be with God and be God at the same time? It's a good question. I'm glad you asked. This is only possible because of the Trinitarian nature of our God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three distinct persons, and they are yet one God. They are co-eternal, they are co-equal, and they are co-powerful. Okay? Now, you may be thinking, that is hard to understand. You are correct. (laughs) It is hard to understand. Um, The essence and nature of our infinite God is very hard to wrap our finite minds around. Yes. Uh, And when encountered with a part of the truth about God that is mysterious or hard to understand, uh, we always have two options. We can either doubt in pride or we can worship in humility. You will have that opportunity often if you spend any time studying the Word of God or thinking about God in any way. You will arrive at points where your finite mind is not able to grapple entirely with what is being said. Amen? Here's, here's what we need to know about that. Only a fool wants a God he can completely understand. Am I, I mean, I might as well trust and worship me, right? I can totally get me, I understand me, and if I can totally grasp everything about him, then he's probably not as big or as powerful as I need him to be in order to be able to wash my sins as white as snow and for me to trust all of my eternity into his hands, right? I am thrilled that I don't understand him. I am thrilled and my faith is built when I reach a point that God's mysterious nature is beyond what this finite mind can comprehend. And so I am left with two options. I can either then begin to decide that because I've reached that point, somehow God is untrue and my superior intellect has figured it out, or I can realize I am small compared to his greatness and that what I should do is bow my knee and worship to that very fact. Those are the options. You'll have them often. Pray you choose the right one. Now, there's probably someone here who's going to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I watched a video on YouTube, and this guy that seemed pretty smart, he said that Jesus never claimed to be God. And so this stuff that you're saying, you know, that I think, I think you're reading something into it that's not there. Um, and, and, and a lot of times the argument is that Jesus never claimed to be God, but this is something his disciples created later on. It's an idea they, you know, um, kind of drummed up in their own heads. Okay, here's, here's a couple of things I want to say about that, okay? First, do you know the qualifications that someone needs to have to post a video like that on YouTube? What are the qualifications required for someone to get on YouTube and look into their little, you know, um, what's that thing called? Webcam. To look into their little webcam and discuss whether or not Jesus ever claimed to be God. What do they need? What do they need? An MDiv, some type of theological degree? No. They need to be able to hit the power button on their computer and find YouTube, right? Which is not hard. Okay, so there's no qualifications whatsoever that keep someone who has no business addressing a subject from doing so, Right? It'd be like, you know, me getting on there and and just teaching a tutorial off the top of my head about how to sew, you know, doilies or something. If you watch that, you're the fool, right? You're going to end up with some jacked up doilies, not something you'd want to give at Christmas time. I'm not even sure I know what a doily is. It's a word I heard somewhere along the way, right? I know it's probably lacy and not something I'm qualified to speak on, but I could, right? So here we see the problem. Um... So just be careful what you watch and believe, okay? That's the first thing I want to say about that. Secondly, uh, to all of my dear friends who would stand straight-faced and say that Jesus never claimed to be God, I I have one question for them. Why then did they murder Jesus? What did they murder him for? Okay, here's the answer for claiming to be God. Very, very clear from the Scriptures, okay? You might not buy that yet. Let me read this to you. This is John 10. I'm going to read you verse 25 through 33. I'm going to read this to you. I want you to listen to it and make a judgment. I know I speak with a forceful vocal tone. I don't want you to just accept it because I'm saying I want you to really listen to these scriptures, and I want you to make a judgment for yourself on what you hear within it, okay? Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give 
and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? (laughs) He's great. And the Jews answered him. Here's the point. The Jews answered him. For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. Okay, here's the thing. I realize that you cannot find the phrase out of Jesus' mouth within the Gospels, I am God. But is the pundit on YouTube or the guys very familiar with all of Hebrew tradition, custom, and law better suited to make a judgment on what Jesus is saying here? I would say those guys, and what did they think? They thought Jesus was claiming to be God. So much so, they were ready to throw rocks at him until he died. Okay, they didn't get him here. They got him later, though. And they didn't use rocks. They used whips and nails, and they did end up killing him for this because he claimed to be God. Don't let somebody, and and some of you are like, why is this such a big deal? I promise you, it's a really big deal. We need to understand this. We need to be able to defend this. You may not have come into a situation yet where it's become pertinent, but if you continue to follow Jesus and you continue to stand up in the midst of this culture that is continually moving away from an understanding of Jesus that is true to the scriptures, you will come to the point where you're going to have to have this conversation. He did, without a doubt, claim to be God because he was and he is. Amen. Alas, someone else may have watched a different YouTube video, and they might say, yeah, okay, you read that out of John, but Jesus only claims to be God in the book of John and nowhere else. So what somebody's hoping to do here is to say, well, they, they don't understand God's purpose in the, in the variation of the Gospels. Uh, they like to point out what they think are differences among them. They don't see the beauty of a variety of perspectives in writing out uh, the history about what happened when Jesus was born, lived, and died in our place for our sins. And so they, they see what they perceive to be inconsistencies because they're always trying to undermine the authority of the word because really at the deepest part of their heart, the same sin that infected our first parents affects them. The same sin that is always affecting all of us affected them. They want to be God. They don't want an answer to a God who has the authority that the scriptures give the God of the Bible. They don't want to serve a God described herein because they understand that he makes the rules then and they don't. Men do not like that. It is only when Jesus comes and changes a heart that we openly embrace that idea and that we're thankful for it. Okay? So, what do we say then? Uh, Their hope is to undermine the validity of John's gospel by saying he's the only one where Jesus ever claimed to be God. And so what that tells us is John was cooking the books a little bit. Okay? Um. It is true that the book of John focuses the lens more intently on the deity of Jesus than the other Gospels, for sure. Uh, But it is absolutely untrue that the book of John is the only place we see Jesus claiming to be God, okay? I'm going to read for you another passage of Scripture. I want you to make a judgment, all right? Again, don't, don't bow under the weight of the fact that I'm clearly very convinced about this. I want you to make a judgment for yourself because I want you to be able to speak to this with conviction, okay? I'm going to read you another set of verses, not in the book of John, I want, what, what is Jesus saying here? This is Mark 16, uh, verses 60 through 64. And the high priest arose and came forward and questioned Jesus, saying, Do you make no answer to what these men are testifying against you? But he kept silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest was questioning him and saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus said, I am. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And tearing his, clothes, the high, tearing his clothes, the high priest said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. How does it seem to you? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Now, what you did not hear was a phrase, I am God. But we see Jesus saying things that you're going to see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power on high. Right? And, and he starts with something very interesting. He says, I am. That's much less significant to our Western ear today than it would have been to the hearers then. Part of why the high priest tore his clothes was because Jesus started with those two words. He said, I am. That harkens back to Moses questioning. When, when, when God is sending Moses on the mission of uh, setting the Israelites free from bondage, Moses 
asks God, he says, so suppose I do this, because I think he's still like trying to calculate, this is really wild, and I'm not sure how it's going to work. He says to God, so suppose I go, and, and they, don't, they don't believe me. Who, who do I say sent me? And here's God's response. He said, tell them I am. I am who I am has sent you. And he took that name for himself, and, that, and that, that in that saying of I am, it speaks to his eternality. It speaks to the totality of his sovereignty. Who else gets to just say, I am? And so we see implicit in, in, in what Jesus is saying there. He is very clearly, and there's lots of other places I could continue the rest of the night building a defense for you, uh, the fact that Jesus is clearly God, did claim to be God, and anybody that says otherwise just hasn't paid attention. But we won't. I would commit that to you to continue uh, to look into for yourself and study. Um, so that's the first thing we're going to see out of uh, the, the three here in, in this first section of John 1 is that uh, Jesus is indeed God. Here's the second thing we're going to see. Jesus is eternal. Okay? Um, I'm going to read for you again verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. I was only supposed to read verses 1 through 3, but these are so hard to stop on. So you got five. Um, Okay, so here, I need to call your attention to verse 15 very quickly. John says this, John testified about him uh, and cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. What's interesting about this? Who was born first? John or Jesus? That's very right. John was born first, so what is John talking about? Did he get confused about the timeline? No, no, no. He's speaking to the eternality of Jesus, the fact that he has no beginning. Is your mind fried yet? It should be. If it's not, you're not, you're not on this trail with me here. Never started. Never began. Mm. Glad we worship a God that's eternal. So what that means is Jesus knows all of your past, even the stuff you thought that only you knew. And he is not shocked by it. And he doesn't love you any less because of it. Somebody needed to hear that tonight. Jesus knows everything about you, even the stuff you thought only you knew. And he doesn't love you any less because of what he knows. Jesus is with you in your present, and he will never abandon you, even if others do. And Jesus is Lord over your future and over eternity. And this is why we have hope in every circumstance. It's because of the power and glory and majesty and perfection of our eternal creator, God, King, and Father. We have hope in every circumstance because we worship a God that never started and he's never going to stop. He knows your past. He's with you now in your present, shepherding you through it, being the light and the lamp to your feet in your path. And he's Lord over your future if you'll trust him. Now, the next time that you are struggling to trust God, just think about the fact that he exists outside of time. Because let's be honest, we can know all of this intellectually, we could even have it at some level of the heart and know it by faith, but there are times when circumstances rush in and tempt us to doubt. Is that true or untrue? You can stare at me all hyper-spiritual if you want. I have been walking with Jesus a long time. I have never, ever seen him fail, and yet there is still this ignorant tendency in me as a human to at least for a second when circumstances go difficult to think he may not. He may not do what he said he's going to do. And when I'm in those situations and when you're in those situations, I want you to remember this part of the nature of your God, that he exists outside of time. His eternal nature should be for you a great comfort. The fact that he has never been, he's never been without love for you even before you existed. He's never been without a plan for saving you and all of us who would place our faith in him for salvation. Before he made us, he knew we would rebel and the plan was already there because he exists outside of time. And that is part of what causes me to want to worship him. I don't worship God because I feel like, well, 
yeah, I guess he's the supreme power in all the universe, and if I don't do it, he might crush me under the weight of his strength and power and glory. That is not my motivation for worshiping God. My motivation for worshiping God is the fact that he knew before he made me how much trouble I would be. He knew before he created all of us how dark and atrocious we could be because of the sin in our hearts. And yet, not because he needed us, but because he still wanted us, he made us. He was aware that we would fail him before he even made us, and the plan for salvation and redemption was already there. That should be comforting. You're not catching God off guard with the next dumb thing you do, okay? You might catch you off guard. (laughs) Woo, didn't know I'd do that. Didn't see that coming. God is not caught off guard by the next circumstance that just comes at you and tries to just knock the wheels off the, the train. God's not taken off guard. He exists outside of time. So the next time you're tempted to think, well, this might be the time he doesn't show up. This might be the time this is outside of his ability to do something. This might be out of the reach of his mighty right hand. You've not found that circumstance because the God we're talking about doesn't even exist on the plane of time as we think of it. He is eternal. He's He's already gone before. He already sees the solution to that problem even though you don't. That is why we can take to the bank the fact that Romans tells us he can work all things to the good of those that love us. Some of you right now are in the midst of a situation so dark and painful, you can in no way stretch your imagination to see how it could ever be for your good or his glory. You can't see it. But what I want you to do tonight is put your head on your pillow and sleep very sweet because he does see it. And sometimes that might be all you have, but it's got to be enough. And it should be. Lord, I don't see it, but you do. And so I'm going to raise these hands. I'm going to declare your glory. I'm going to trust you. Because you've proved so far that you're worth that. And he's not going to quit today. I love you. I don't mean to sound harsh about that, but it is what it is. That's the truth. And every minute that you spend wasted mental and emotional energy wondering if timeless, eternal, sovereign, almighty God is going to deliver on the promises he's made, is wasted mental and emotional energy. Don't waste that time. Just decide. Yes, he will do what he said he's going to do. And that means even though I may not get it, even though it may not be within the terms and definitions of of how I would see something turning out for my good and his glory, it will. All glory to the God who is Lord and shepherd over that process. Amen. 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 When the spit starts flying, it's when you got to take a drink of water if you're ever preaching, just so you know. That's how you know. I don't have time to do the other dehydration checks, so, you know, that lets me know. All right. Um, What we see in the birth of Jesus is a glimpse of God's ultimate redemptive intention to give sinful man access once again to his glorious presence. You see that? Jesus, in Jesus' birth... In that manger, what we see there is you had Adam and Eve in the garden, they, they enjoyed unrestricted access to the presence of God because sin had not separated them. What we see in the manger is, again, for the first time, humans having unrestricted access to the presence of God. And we see a glimpse of foreshadowing, a beautiful foretaste of what this finished work is going to look like, that man separated from God by sin brought together into his presence again. It's beautiful. It's not just a baby in a manger. It's not just a cute scene in front of the church down the street or, you know, on your mantle at home. Um, It is cute. Hallelujah. There's a baby. We like babies, but there's so much more going on than that. Next time, the birth of Christ is a radiant highlight on a timeline that never begins or ends, but it includes our creation by God our separation from God, and our reconciliation to God. The birth of Christ is a radiant highlight on a timeline that never ends. It stretches infinitely in both directions. And it's beautiful. And it should, we should stop and pay attention to it. We should stop and celebrate during Advent its beauty. We should also put it in its proper context and place, understanding how it is a crucial part of a bigger plan. For God to crush the back of sin and gather his people back to himself. 
Now, the next time that you struggle to know if you can trust our Father, remember that He's the one who manages that eternal timeline with all of its variables and every single event in it. He manages that timeline with such perfection and precision that He will not be one second late in the fulfilling of the promise of all promises, that he will come again. You see, he came, but he's promised to come again. And when he does that, everything that has been made wrong by sin will be made right. Everything that's been shattered by sin will be made whole again. Every single broken heart will be made whole again. If its trust is in Jesus Christ, our Savior King. He's coming to fulfill that promise. And the next time you're tempted to doubt his ability to be faithful to his promises, remember. Remember the the power and the sovereignty that would be required for him to be the architect of a timeline that encompasses all of history and every event. And for him to be able to tune that to such precision that he will not be one second late for the fulfilling of his final promise to us. Just think, if, if you're, you know, I, I, I went swimming this week, and I, I realized this, this principle, you know, when you're at the shallow end of the pool, like, you have no concern about, like, the buoyancy rates of water or what, what it takes to float, because you're standing on those feet that you're always, like, sure about, and I think that's kind of like our intellect. Now, when, when you wade over to the deep end of the pool, and you start thinking about, like, the eternality of God and how he's managing this timeline of all of events and how incredibly powerful he is and how big he is and how much deeper he is than we can grasp. You're, like, you're, you're over there at the deep end of the pool and all of a sudden like your legs start to get tired. You're like, whoo, I really hope this water can hold me up, right? Like hope that stuff in swimming lessons class about floating is true. You know, you can start to feel like, man, this is a little bit outside of <clears throat> what I can handle. I would just, if you feel yourself a little bit lost in thinking through that, then I would just, I would, I would encourage you to ask God by his Holy Spirit to illuminate what is possible about all of that to you, that you can be passionate about it and that it can undergird your faith in times of difficulty. Amen? Amen. The shallow end of the pool is fun for a little bit, but sometimes you got to swim over in the deep part, even though it can be scary. Okay, uh, Jesus is God. Jesus is eternal. Here's the third thing we're going to draw from this. Jesus is powerful. Jesus is powerful, okay? I'm going to read three through five again. All things, think about this in the context of the fact that Jesus is powerful. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Nothing came into being apart from him. He is the only being with the power to create from nothing. As if trying to contemplate his eternal nature was not enough of a mind bend. Let's think about this. God spoke all that is into being out of nothing. I think he can handle what's going on in our lives. That's power. And we have this misconception sometimes. I think, you know, some of you might be aware of this, but it's worth saying again and reminding us because we have this constant slide towards having our understanding tainted by the messages we receive from outside of the scriptures. I need you to understand the the yin yang is not right, okay? Uh, The devil is not even close to equal with God. You guys know what a yin yang is? That's not at the Chinese restaurant on the menu. That's the circle, you know, it's got. I don't know what the shapes are. It kind of looks like what would be on a paisley tie. I'm struggling here. But you know what I'm talking about. It's a circle, two shapes, right? It's got white and black, and it seems like they're perfectly and totally balanced, and it's all this jibber-jabber about how there's this tension between light and dark, and they're kind of equal in the universe. You know, there's, it's tapped into a little bit in, in Star Wars with the Force. you got the dark side and, and uh, uh, you know, the good guys. Um, that's not reality, okay? There is no struggle between God and Satan. Understand that. God wins. God wins. If you're not happy about that, you're not getting happy about anything. Because if you're on Team Jesus, that means you're winning. You understand that, right? He wins. And so I win. And so we win. Woo! Come on. What you got to be sad about? We're winning. Because he's winning. Glory to God. 
The only time we lose when we let somebody convince us that's not true. Cling to that right there, dear one, and you've got it. Quit letting somebody convince you of something different than that. It's not true. Satan and everyone with him are going to lose, period. We see, we see how this thing all wraps up. There's the, the, the final battles depicted in Revelation is not like, oh, it's this epic struggle. It takes several weeks. No. God grabs that serpent by the neck and casts him into hell where he belongs. He's done. He loses. There is no fight. And the saints of God praise the Almighty. And we're with him. Sin defeated. Death defeated. Jesus on his throne where he belongs. And us staring full into the glorious radiance of his face. Free to worship him. Reconciled again as we were intended to be from the beginning. That's, that's a win, right? That's victory. Mm, thank you, Lord. Some misinterpret the humble coming of Jesus as a baby in a barn and his simple upbringing as a peasant carpenter as signs of weakness. They don't understand. They don't see. They think, well, this should, he should have been royal or something that we equate with greatness. Some would jeer still today as they did then, looking at Jesus battered and bloodied as he was executed for crimes that we committed. And, he, and they would see someone that is weak and defenseless. If only they knew. The greatest show of strength and power is not to return violence with violence. The greatest show of strength and power is to return violence with love. Do you see that? It is easy to return violence with violence. Animals do that. Our base instinct is to do that. Someone hits me, I hit them, right? That's, I don't, there's, there's no strength required in that. What requires, what requires strength from God Almighty is to return violence with love. To have genuine compassion and care for those that violate us. That's not natural. It's not even within the scope of human possibility. You need the help of God for that. The greatest show of strength and power is to return violence with love and hate with sacrifice. There has never been a display of power and strength in all of history like the restraint of retaliation by King Jesus and his ability to love sacrificially instead. I mean, we see at the cross Jesus spending one of his last precious breaths asking God to forgive the men who had just nailed him to that cross they weren't sorry about it yet. They were still down there gambling for his clothes. They were still down there jeering and, and hurling insults. And he is concerned with whether or not God the Father will forgive them for the sins they just committed against him. Who are you holding something against today? Please stop. Please follow the example of the master. I know that people are capable of grotesque violations they are capable of inflicting incredible emotional pain. But until the day that you are hanging by your wrist and feet with nails through them, and you're having to try to summon up the, the inner strength and humility by the power of God to forgive the people that just nailed you there, you've not yet had to do what Jesus had to do. And it wasn't fake and for the sake of the cameras because there was no cameras there. He legitimately loved those people that had just nailed him to that cross. Does that blow your mind? It should. Does that convict you? It really convicts me because I'm going to tell you right now. There's a list of people that frustrate me um, that, you know, don't do good towards me, that don't seem to love me or care about me, and um, I'll just go first. My initial reaction is to not be super concerned about their welfare. I know most of you are more spiritual than that, but I'll just confess my sins one to another and... Let the rest of you, you know, pray for me. That's, that's not natural. But that's why we're called to live supernatural lives, empowered by the Spirit. So some of that will help some of you that have been doing this a long time, and you, you get tempted to start to think that, like, you've, you've reached this, like, plateau of spirituality. <laughs> um, un until you, you're able to, in every circumstance, only care about the welfare of everybody, no matter how violent they would be towards you, or somebody that you care about, um, we need to keep searching and seeking after the example of Jesus. Amen.
Christmas is the celebration of the beginning of a rescue mission. Christmas is the celebration of the beginning of a rescue mission. And I'm going to do something now that if you've come to Love City for any amount of time, you know happens every single time the Bible is opened. I'm going to explain to you what the rescue mission looked like, and that's going to be an explanation of the gospel. But I've, in preparing this, I felt impressed um, of the Spirit to, to speak to us because no matter how many times we say it, there is a tendency within us to, in pride, decide we have no need for hearing certain things. Like, for example, some of you, some of you have been Christians maybe longer than I've been alive, and uh, you could recite all of the 18 verses that we read, and you could have thought when I said, let's open your Bibles to John 1, oh great, here comes another standard Christmas message out of John 1, I've been there, I've seen that, I've done that. Um, I need you to just understand this truth, I need you to think of things in this context. 1 Peter 1.12 tells us that angels... The same angels that were there at Jesus, they, they, were, they saw Jesus leave the throne to come and be born of a virgin. They were there. They announced to Mary it was going to happen. They announced to Joseph it was going to happen. They were involved in the inner workings of this rescue mission. But 1 Peter 1.12 tells us that when it comes to the elements of this beautiful gospel, angels long to look into the depth of its beauty and complexity. So, when you are tempted to think, as you begin to hear those words that maybe sound familiar that are going to uh, be put together to construct a gospel presentation, I, I, am, I am begging you to never assume you have reached a place where you have no need of hearing that pure, beautiful, simple gospel because angels still now long to look into the depth and complexity contained within it. You have not exhausted the gospel. Angels have a bit more understanding, I would assume, about things that pertain to the inner workings of the gospel, you know, them being there for it happening and, you know, all, all that type of stuff. Um, I, I, would, I would assume they know a little bit more about it than we do, and they still long to look into how deep and wide and beautiful and complex it is. We will not, we could, for the rest of our lives, only seek to take the beautiful jewel that is the gospel and slowly spin it, letting the light hit it and see those different facets be illuminated. We could spend the rest of our lives doing that and never, ever, 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 ever exhaust. And I would, I would shoot you this premise. You can argue about it later if you'd like. I think we could spend all of eternity doing the same thing. Never exhaust the beauty, complexity, and depth of this gospel. And so, the birth of Christ was the beginning of a rescue mission. Why did he need to come? Well, why was there need of a rescue, right? God created us, perfect. Put us in a garden, gave us one charge. Have fun, enjoy, enjoy my presence, don't touch that tree. What'd we do? We touched the tree, yep. You may, you may have never even heard this before, you can guess that part of the story. Yes, the humans touched the tree, we did it. And, and what was interwoven into that was the fact that Satan came and tempted our first parents, and, and what, he, what he convinced them of was that not that um, God's command not to touch that tree was for their good, but what he convinced them of was that God was withholding from them some good thing. He told them, no, 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 you don't, I know maybe God said you would die, but that's not what's going to happen. You're gonna, you'll, you'll be like him. You'll understand good and evil. You'll have more than he's given you. There's something better that he's holding back from you. Go ahead. I don't know if you're aware of it, but every single temptation you deal with fits within that framework. The details might be different, but the only way you can be tempted to disobey God is by believing that what someone else is offering you is better than what God has offered you. It's always some lesser counterfeit that's going to disappoint, but every time we make that decision to go that way, it's because we've decided somehow God's not been good enough to us. And that's why a vibrant understanding of this gospel wards off the temptation to sin. Because if you really understand how good he's been to you in this beautiful gospel message, it, it, it holds back that temptation because it would be very hard for someone to convince you that there's something else better. 
And so we sinned. The Bible says at that very point we were, death did come. Exactly what God said happened. We didn't fall over dead physically, but spiritually we were disconnected from the source of life, which is God himself. Most tragic day in all of history. From that point on, every man and woman, we are sinners by nature and by choice. We are separated from God by our sin. I'll say it another way because in this culture, and you may be visiting here today, maybe you've never heard somebody stand up and say the word sin because that's offensive. Well, I love you too much not to say that word because that's how the Bible frames it. You need to understand you do have sin. And, and let me say it in, in these words in case sin can, is a little bit of a slippery term. Maybe you're not totally sure what that means. I would ask you this way. Are you perfect? Is there anyone within the sound of my voice that would stand up and say, I am perfect in every way? Not just in what I do, not just in what I say, but even in what I think. Nobody jumping up on that one. Okay, good. Then we're all, we've all come to the table, right? We are imperfect. Imperfection, it's, it's just a different way to say we, we are stained by sin. None of us is perfect. Here's the problem with that. God is. God is perfect and holy and set apart completely. The Bible compares him many times to light, and it's intentional because light in its very nature, if you study its physical properties, light cannot be diluted or mixed with anything. You literally cannot mix light and dark. And so in, in comparing God to light and saying that he is light, we understand that sinful man cannot, we cannot be reconnected with the God who is light. And so that's a serious problem. If every single one of us is imperfect, every single one of us is stained by sin, and imperfect sinful people cannot be connected to the God that made them, and being disconnected from the God who made you is spiritual death, that is incredibly bad news. Is it not? It's very that's why the gospel, that's why the message that summarizes this rescue mission is called the gospel or the good news. There's really bad news here, but there's really, really good news here. The good news is God had a plan. He knew we would fall. He, didn't, he, he wasn't caught off guard, and so that's what we see. That's what we're celebrating now. We see the beginning of God's plan to reconcile broken, sinful people to him who loves us most. And so he sends Jesus. Jesus is born of a virgin, and he lives a perfect life. The perfect life that all of us should have but couldn't because of our sin nature. And so Jesus lives a perfect life, and that is what qualifies him to be able to step in and say, I will die in their place for their sins. Somebody had to, sin has a price. It always does. Somebody had to pay the price. But we see that no man was going to be able to qualify to do that. That's why God had to come himself. The violation was against him, but he was going to pay the price to satisfy it. And so Jesus steps in, perfect, sinless, wonderful Jesus. He allows those who he created, those who he came to save, he allows them to beat him, to strip him of his clothes, to smack him, to press a crown of thorns onto his head. To abuse him as he carries his own crossbeam to be crucified. And then they nail him to that piece of wood. They hoist him in the air, continue to jeer, saying, Come on, if you're who you say you are, come on down, rescue yourself. What they didn't realize is in him not rescuing himself, what he was trying to do was rescue them. They didn't see it. And even in the midst of that, he wasn't holding against them. The, the incredible nature, the, the loving character of God is, is nowhere better understood than looking into this gospel message and seeing the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. That's why 1 John tells us, you want to understand love? Do you, you want to try to understand the depth of what love is? You have nowhere to look than the cross of Christ. And if you just fix your eyes on that, you'll have some chance of beginning to grasp what the love of God really is, how deep and wide and beautiful it is. And so Jesus did. He died in our place for our sins. He paid the price that we could not have paid ourselves. He did it. But he didn't stay dead. You see, this is where, this is where Jesus had to really trust the plan, <laughs> didn't he? Because he was going to sacrifice himself, put himself into the hands of evil men. And be crucified, but three days later he rose. Death couldn't hold him. Death was defeated. And he rose three days later from the grave. 
And now he sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us, waiting for the day. God the Father looks over to him and says, it's time. It's time for the fulfilling of that final promise. You went and you did that part of the job. The, the finishing is the final promise to us. that he's, he, he came, but he's also going to come. And so, armed with that beautiful gospel, we, we keep hope in our hearts, looking forward to the fulfilling of his final promise. That day is coming. But in the meantime, we don't just sit and we don't just sing kumbaya and look towards the sky waiting for his coming. He's given us a job to do. One of the last things Jesus said to his men before he ascended to the Father is he said, go. I want you to go into all the world. Because of what I've done, it lays upon you a burden of responsibility. You need to go into the world and share with them this good news. Let them know they need not be hopeless, but because of what I've accomplished, they can have hope in me. Let them know that by faith they can go from death to life, from darkness to light. Go into all the world and make disciples with that beautiful gospel message. This is our privileged occupation. This is what we spend all of our breaths that we are given in this life. Whether, whether this thing ends with those of you within the sound of my voice seeing the coming of the Lord or if we... If we die and, and he tarries longer than that, that really matters not. The responsibility that we're given is the same. And so, it, it, and it's not, it's not a responsibility like other responsibilities. That word can, it can be tainted because you start to think of like, you know, filing papers at work or something. Like, it's not like that. It's, how is there not joy in being a part what, why is it God, who is completely infinite and all-powerful, would even involve someone so finite and broken as myself in that rescue mission? Why let me have a part? You see, we get it twisted when we start to think that God somehow needs us to get this done or needed us to get this done. It's not even like that. His love for us is so great that he, he makes concession for us to be a part of this gospel mission just because he likes to be with us. It's like, it's like this. It's like this. You know, just, just recently, I've done some work on our house. I'm, I'm you know, down in the basement. I'm framing stuff and doing whatever. And, and Lucy's standing at the top of the stairs and uh, screaming, Dad, what are you doing there? Uh, you know, I'm trying to build something and, you know, go watch Care Bears or something. And, you know, she's not having it. Like, she, she wants, Dad, let me come help. And, guys, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing my three-year-old daughter could do to come down there and help me. Anything she did was going to slow me down and be some, somewhat of a burden. I'm just, I'm just being honest. But, but you know what? I love her. I really love her. And I really like being with her. And it really blessed me that she wanted to come spend time with me and be a part of the mission I was on. And so I brought her down there. And I gave her a little hammer. And I let her bang on a piece of wood. There wasn't even a nail in it. I just need you to bang this little piece of wood right here, baby. Just, ham just hammer this right here. I didn't need her help. I didn't need her help. But I let her help. Because I wanted her to be with me. And I wanted her to feel the joy of helping dad. That's more what this looks like. So don't get it twisted. God doesn't need you, but you should really, really desire to help him in this mission. He'll get it done with or without your obedience but you'll have much more joy and a much deeper sense of purpose and a much more vibrant connection to him being a part of what it is he's accomplishing in the earth. You can be a part of nothing greater than sharing this simple, beautiful, pure gospel message with someone that doesn't know it. You'll have no opportunity to be a part of something greater than living your life in light of this gospel so that it opens up the hearts of people you come in contact with so that you can have that privileged chance to tell them there's hope in Christ. I'm just thankful our dad let us come along. I'm thankful he'll let us come be a part. Because I know I don't deserve it. I know I'm not that helpful because of all my frailty, right? I'm probably a liability. <laughs> Truth be told. But he doesn't care. He wants me to help. I'm really happy about that. I hope you are too. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you in the name of Jesus. We thank you for that beautiful name. Lord God, we thank you for this 
beautiful gospel message. Lord, I thank you that in your wisdom you did have four different gospel writers record the history of the way you came. I'm so thankful that John calls our attention to the fact that you are the word, that you were with God in creation, that you are God. I'm so thankful that you are Trinitarian in your nature, that you were not lonely for eternity past, but even, even in just yourself and your own character, you have perfect love and unity. And that, that tells me you didn't need us. We were not some necessity. You were not lacking something and thus created us, but that simply out of your incredible love, you desired to have us. And even though you knew that we would sin, even though you knew that we would break your heart, you still saw that it was worth it to have us. All the trouble it would cost you. You knew that you would have to send your son. You knew the abuse that he would endure. And yet you counted us as worth all of that cost. And for this I'm very thankful. And Lord, because of it, I want to live my life not, not just out of obedience to you because I, I assume that's my best way not to go to hell, but I want to live my life in obedience to you because I am in utter and complete awe of your incredible love for me. I want to worship you and obey you and love you, not because I'm afraid of you, but because you have loved me first. You went first. You showed me what love is. You gave me the chance to even contemplate what it looks like, to even conceive of its greatness. God, help me to live in light of your beauty and love and your gospel. Help me to live in light of the hope of Christmas, the beginning of a rescue mission where you came. You came to, to make a way. You came to do what your frail creation could not and to pay a price that we could never have come up with the currency for. Thank you, Lord, for these things. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.